What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to be talking with musician and singer-songwriter Mark Thomas McLaughlin, otherwise known as Mark Arm. Mark has been integral to the origination and proliferation of grunge music, a hybrid mix of punk rock and heavy metal that came storming out of Seattle in the late 80s and early 90s and continues to be influential to this day. Not only was Mark the frontman for Green River, arguably the first grunge band ever, but he was also frontman of Mudhoney, considered by many to be one of the greatest grunge bands of all time, including their seminal 1988 debut album, Super Fuzz Big Muff, which included the breakout hit Touch Me, I'm Sick. Mudhoney has been playing together now for 35 years and just released their latest album, Plastic Eternity. They just finished up an Australian tour and will be heading on the road again for a national U.S. tour in October. Check out Mudhoney's music, tour dates, and merch at mudhoney.org. Now in the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program, we want you to apply principles of humanistic psychology to your life so you can find your purpose, work hard to achieve it, and build a community around you who will support your most authentic and purpose-driven life. And on the Hardcore Humanism podcast, we want to talk with artists about how they have gone about achieving their purpose-driven life so that we can learn from their experience as we embark on our own purpose-driven journey. And one issue that we must contend with on our journey is the feeling of existential dread. Existential dread can be understood as the emotional distress we experience as we ponder the meaning of life. One source of this dread can come from a paradox that we face regarding our mortality. We feel that we have control over our lives, but cannot control our inevitable death. This paradox can be incredibly confusing and isolating as we struggle with the complexity of existence and the belief that we are alone in our struggle. So how do we cope with existential dread? Two possible strategies are validation and finding a sense of purpose. We may validate and accept that our death is inevitable and acknowledge the surreal and perhaps absurd nature of having to live our lives in this context. We thus feel less confused and less isolated as we normalize our existential dread. But we also can ground ourselves in a sense of purpose that can often make us feel more connected to ourselves and others. Thus, we affirm that our life has meaning even though we will die. One way that many of us find the validation and purpose that we need to cope with existential dread is through music. Music is often the first place that we learn to experience, confront, and express our deepest emotions. We may find purpose in supporting our favorite artists or making our own music. Further, we may find a sense of community at concerts or just sharing music with friends. And our relationship to the music, the meaning of the songs, the bands we like, the music we play, and the scenes we are part of may change throughout our lives to reflect the changes in our experience of existential dread. And Mark's music has always tackled existential themes, including issues such as climate change in their latest album, Plastic Eternity. So I wanted to talk with Mark about how he understood and addressed existential themes such as existential dread in his music and life. So let's listen to what Mark has to say. Okay, Mark, welcome to the Hardcore Humanism podcast. Nice to be here. So let's get right into the new album. The term plastic eternity was very interesting to me, and I just wanted to start with what from your guys' perspective, that term meant? It's the last phrase of the song Plasticity. I was in Morocco uh, in October of 21, and we were kind of working on the record at that point. Like a bunch of stuff had been recorded, but I didn't have lyrics for everything yet. And uh, 
there were some long drives with stretches of pretty barren, uninhabited landscapes. No one was living anywhere near there. And every once in a while, it might be like some sort of like shrub or tree. And you'd see like a plastic bag in it. And, you know, I'd seen this kind of thing before, like, you know, when I went to Southeast Asia in 99, you know, just banks of of the river in a, in a village just being covered in like plastic garbage, you know, you know, what I'm guessing is like for many, many centuries, people just kind of wrapped their food in banana leaves. And suddenly there's like all this stuff that isn't biodegradable, but people were still kind of like dealing with it the same way they always had dealt with stuff. And, you know, it's just like we created this thing, we being humans, that's just not easily dissolved. It's going to be around long after we're gone. And, um, you know, came up with this sort of like list song, Plasticity, which, you know, sort of explores the several different meanings and ideas of plastic from like the actual physical product to things being malleable and or fake or what, you know, whatever. I don't want to explain too much of it because, I, you know, I like to let people kind of come up with their own conclusions. That was one of the things I liked about you know, the term plastic. Like you said, it's kind of like, on the one hand, it's it's kind of a, a negative from some people's perspective. Like, again, that concept of fake. Also, it could be somewhat negative, like, oh, you're easily molded or shaped. But But then on the other hand, there's also this kind of openness and creativity. And so th- that was one of the things I liked about the title was that it, it kind of like folded all of that into one. Then you add the word eternity to it. And it's just like, you know, now my mind's racing. <laughs> I, I kind of, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was because, and one of the things that I've always liked about Mud Honey and, and Green River was the sort of Dadaism of it. You know, you're talking about this thing with seeing these plastic bags on the road and you're thinking about things like, the way we're treating the environment. And there's such a, there's such an absurdity to it, you know, in the sense that we are, we're we're destroying the planet, depending on who you ask. And, and yet at the same time, you know, when, when people are looking to art, one of the things that they want is they want some kind of art that helps them understand their reality. And one of the things I always loved about what you did with Mud Huddy and Green River was just, there was this sense of this Dadaism, like I'm going to match the absurdity of the world with a little bit of tongue in cheek absurdity in the music, you know, and, and like, I'm going to take it on directly. And it, it almost feels to me like when I hear that kind of music or I see that kind of art, I feel like it's more reflective of at least my sense of reality, as opposed to some people would say like, Oh, they're just joking around and they're not being serious. But from my perspective, if you're going to really be serious about what's going on in the world, you got to match it a little bit with just how crazy it actually is. I've always had sort of an absurd sense of humor and kind of a dark sense of humor. Um, (laughs) I don't know why, but that's always the kind of stuff that like has appealed to me even since I was a little kid. So, and, you know, I think probably from like early psychedelic experiences, like coming to the conclusion that like, I mean, it's sort of a Zen, like it just doesn't matter kind of, thing even though things actually do matter <laughs> but you know it's like you're looking trying to find some sort of objective reality <laughs> yeah no and that and that 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 line of it doesn't matter but it does matter and it, it brings me back even to 
there's the concept of like, okay, like, you know, touch me, I'm sick. Isn't that funny? But on the other hand, it, to me, it was taking the punk ethos a little bit of a step further. You know, if, if you kind of think about the Ramones and, and people did that, where sort of saying like, hey, let's take, even back to Warhol, let's take ugly things and make it beautiful or mundane things and make it important. It's sort of like touch me up sick is almost like taking it a whole nother step further where it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to not just, I'm going to really like bring you into it. Like you're not just going to watch it. The touching part of it for some reason to me very much grabbed me. At this point, I don't even have a clear idea of what I was thinking when I wrote that song. And I mean, I think this kind of goes to like plasticity and memory and stuff. Like when, like you know, we've sung that, I've sung that song so many times. And I think each time I do it, I'm just looking back to the previous time I did it. So it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy that is generated over and over and over again. Um, I mean, I've, I've kind of lost the intention. <laughs> but I mean, I can sing it with conviction. Do you walk me through that a little bit? Like when you're saying something, if you lost the original thing, but saying it with conviction, that kind of feels almost like when people are talking about Buddhism and they like, or they're, or they're meditating and they go to like a the whole, like you lose yourself, find yourself thing that, that, that has that vibe to me when you're saying that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like people just sort of in general kind of go through life in a rote way. And, you know, you have habits that you form and just follow. And after a while, you're not even sure like why the, you started doing that thing to begin with. Like how, how it is that you respond to like a certain situation, what, why it is that you respond that way, but this is the way you've responded to the things you know in the past. So it just sort of builds up and like maybe even some people like uh, ends up creating anxiety or whatever. In terms of like the original hardcore punk movement, you know, one of the things that that always grabbed me, particularly like when people like the Minutemen were talking about not ever giving up your day job and doing your art kind of as its own thing, like not doing your art as a career. And the idea that what was so powerful about that to me when I heard about it, I didn't really experience it when it was happening, but that almost seemed like a more powerful concept, you know, like kind of like this idea of what you're talking about, about rote, you know, daily activities. And then something like if you completely take yourself out of that in this sort of rock star way, okay, that's got then its own rote, you know, and habits, et cetera. But to be able to kind of have your, your day-to-day life and then take time to have that artistic side, that to me seemed like almost in, in, a, in a strange way, almost a more powerful statement. And I think you see it manifested now in terms of how a lot of people live their life. I mean, I think that concept has manifested more than even the quote unquote rock star concept. I mean, there, it would be nice if I didn't have to work a day job and I could just spend all my time just thinking about art or being creative, but also having a job, I think allows us to, in mud honey terms, just like the allows everyone to like do what we want without like thinking of the financial ramifications. Like if if people going to like this record, will it sell well? You know, there's none of that attached to anything that we do. So that's really freeing. Again, you know, it's not that people myself don't draw inspiration from people who 
do it exclusively and full time. But there, there's something to me that's particularly powerful about the that model from hardcore and what what it sounds like you're doing now in your life. That I feel like it makes it seem as though again that concept of like rote or just the mechanical life that people have. That hey, there's that thing that you want. You know that thing that you want that that other that magic that whatever thing it's it's there potentially. I think most people, at least historically, look at movie stars, rock stars, whatever. That's be like that's untouchable. So this has nothing to do with me. But I think punk hardcore derivatives since then have, have I think have shown that that that's not necessarily the case. I've never been in a situation where I didn't have to work or should have at least been working. So I don't, I don't know what it's like to uh, live a life of leisure and um, occasional creativity. <laughs> from, from my perspective, you're living the dream in the mind space that I am in because you have the grounding of a quote unquote regular job and regular life. And yet you are too, I think most people who are interested in that world, and that music, a full fledged rock star without having to give up a lot of the things that people who live that life have to have to live. I think people might sort of seed aspects of their life. Like, you know, people who like suddenly surround themselves with like entourages and, and get to the point where they like, don't make decisions for themselves. That's just something that they do themselves that they kind of have given up on. But I, I, you know, I know people who, are quote unquote rock stars who are very active participants in their lives. And then I also know some other people who accountants and lawyers take care of it. As some, like, you know, if there was someone out there who was thinking like, Hey, I'm looking at his life and I'm thinking, I want to be just like that. I want to do that. And you were saying to someone, Hey, great. These are the things that are good about it. These are the things that might be challenges that you have to kind of contend with. I guess that, that, that's kind of what I was thinking about. I don't know. I mean, the tedium of having a, a day job. <laughs> Do you, is that something you aspire to? Because it's it can be done. It, it, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, like calling it tedium. But some some people, it feels grounded. Like some people, it feels oh, for sure. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't I don't know how to live someone else's life, so I can't really speak to that. Like, I'm, I'm, but I'm sure there's many ways to be grounded, taking care of yourself and doing things with intention. Could you just so I, cause I have an idea of what that would mean for me, but when you say doing things with intention, like what would that, what would that translate into for you? Being aware of what you're doing at the time, instead of just like turning off your brain and, and stumbling through your daily existence. How do you, how do you keep that intention? Cause that, that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. That, yeah. And I do too. Every once in a while, I just have to like kind of, pull yourself back or be aware of what's going on and, you know, and, and focus. I try not to get caught up in uh, the thoughts and opinions of other people. You know, I'm not on social media. I don't care what people have to say about me and I'm not thirsty and looking for attention, but I did like, you know, like the, we had a new song that was released and there was a YouTube video. Uh, the video is fantastic. done by uh, Arturo Baston animation video. And uh, in the comments are like a bunch of people going like, Oh, this is great. Fantastic. You know, can't wait for the full record. And 
And the very last comment I read was someone who just said, yawn. And if I'm going to take any of those like positive comments, seriously, I also have to take this guy's like, oh, that's a boring song. I don't give a shit. I mean, you have to give everything equal weight. And for me, it's easiest not to give anything too much weight. Going all the way back to when you guys were first starting out, I mean, both Green River and Mud Honey, at least from, from my recollection, there was a pretty significant amount of positive energy around it in terms of people's opinions. And sometimes people start off thinking like, oh, I, I don't really pay attention to people's opinions. But if like people are saying like, oh, Green River started this whole genre, right? There's this new genre that it started. Okay, that's one band. Now you're in Mud Honey. This is the beginning of, of this whole movement you know, in this city, sometimes people can get sucked into that because the feedback is so good. You guys, you guys are going over to Europe and everybody's like, oh my God, these guys are, you know, amazing. Is it hard to not then get drawn into that? Because they're, they're from what I understood, obviously you lived it, that there was a lot of positive things coming your way. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, with Green River, not so much. I mean, Green River was just a, you know, largely a local band and we tried to go on tour and leave Seattle and play shows for 30 people, sometimes less, you know, um, touring wasn't super successful for us. And word traveled much slower in those days. You had to read about something in a fanzine the fanzine might get printed like twice a year at the most. And, you know, by the time a record even gets reviewed, it's been out for a year or two. Everything was just like underground word of mouth. And that was even the case, you know, when Mud Honey started. But uh, there was sort of like a, a instantly we kind of had it pretty easily. And I think after a while we cut that was a little bit damaging because we kind of took things for granted. Like by the time we did that record, piece of cake. I mean, that was our attitude that like everything was just so easy. It doesn't. Uh, which I think it has some great songs here and there, but like as a whole, I don't think it's a a great piece of work. So when you're saying like it, you didn't work as hard, whatever. And again, that idea of like taking in the positives, was it like, Oh, like, you know, we were just being us and look how, you know, look how great it was and look how great everybody's responding to it. So we'll just keep doing it. Like, was there something that you otherwise would have done differently if you didn't have that initial success? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. I can't live in two worlds at the same time and, and then compare the two. Um, but you could, you know, like you could say Green River, like we, you know, we tried to do something and make something happen and it it didn't. And then everyone reconfigured their lineups and came up with different bands. And, and I, I think, you know, what happened next? <laughs> I am familiar with what happened next. Yeah, it's such an interesting idea that that someone say Green River didn't go anywhere when it it it's almost the opposite. It went everywhere. It's just not as Green River. Sure, I could see yeah. that. Is there anything looking back in terms of the way that you've approached your career, or your life, where you're like, all right, that that worked well for me, and then that you know maybe not so much. Particularly like the things I think that worked well that you would say like, hey, if there's someone who's looking to do things at least with, with, with my example in mind, these are some things to take away. Well, in terms of our band, I think like the key thing is start a band with your friends and then do everything you can to keep them as friends uh, and not get caught up in like 
stupid little arguments or every person is different. So they're going to have like, everyone's going to have different opinions and stuff. But uh, I think we're all like pretty easy in terms of understanding where everyone's coming from and we'll go out of our way to work with each other and hang out and be friends and remain friends. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing that kind of kept conflicts at bay was initially when we started our band, we just uh, split publishing equally. So there was no conflict in terms of like, I got to get my song on the record because I'll make more money. And for me, I feel like everyone's contribution is as important as everyone else's. And just to kind of keep that thing going for 35 years, I mean, that's why I I think that's one of the reasons that we're still here. When you're talking about the friendships, was, if you don't mind me asking, was there ever a time where that felt more challenging? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like a 35 year marriage with like four people. Is there anything else, anything about the album or anything? stories from the making of the album that you kind of wanted to share or like anything like that? We've been kind of recording the same way since Guy joined the band. Like from that point on in the early 2000s, we all basically had jobs and families and didn't have much time. So we would be pretty frugal in our uh, recording choices, like basically just booking a long weekend and go in well-rehearsed knowing the song from top to bottom and just kind of recording them pretty much live and adding a couple overdubs here and there. This time around, we were a little bit under the gun because we hadn't gathered until like everyone had gotten both fully vaccinated with the first round of two shots, which wasn't until June of 2021. And then we were looking at Guy leaving the country in October of 2021. And so we were just kind of, we booked some recording dates in September and we were just sort of scrambling to come up with ideas and thinking like, we're just going to put all this stuff down, record as much as we can, and maybe even like edit and reconfigure things later on after Guy had left or whatever. Luckily, Australia was still pretty closed off and Guy and his family decided to stay in Seattle through that whole school year. So we pushed our recording session back to November and uh, we booked nine days in a row, which was a thing we hadn't done since the nineties, you know, when we were actually able to be in a band without having day jobs. And um, we went in with like four or five tracks that we had like pretty much figured out and arranged, but the rest of them were like riffs. Some of them had lyrics, but, we're missing parts or, you know, and we came up with stuff in the studio and it was like pretty spontaneous and pretty great. And it was, it was one, definitely one of the most fun recording sessions I've ever had, like just sort of watching stuff kind of almost appear out of like a half baked idea (laughs) and everyone contributing. And when I bring in something and I'll have like, Oh, this is how I hear it in my head. And then everybody plays it and puts their own spin on it. Uh, it always sounds better to me than the thing I had imagined, which is a pretty great process for me. You had a quote that I really, really liked, I think in Kerrang, I'm even pronouncing that right, that when you were in, I think it was, I don't know if it was Green River, you were shitting darkness over rock riffs. 
and you thought that it was almost inappropriate. And I thought that was, I thought that was a really cool quote. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Number one, if that was, I don't know if that was the quote. You know, I think I was contrasting my approach, which was like a, a darker punk rock thing to like Landrew, who was the, became the singer of Mother Love Bone. I mean, he was like definitely part of like the local punk scene, but he was more fantasy and joyful. <laughs> I guess my fantasies were darker and more fucked up. Neither of us were actually grounded in reality because we were young and dumb and we didn't, you know, like we didn't really know that much about the world yet. <laughs> in retrospect, almost all of my favorite art is embedding darkness in an otherwise happy shell. You know what I mean? Like that's so it was interesting. That's why when you said that, I was like, and and it was when you said it was almost inappropriate. And that was the part that I that really also grabbed me. I mean, I love shitting darkness over rock riffs. I love that idea. But like, <laughs> but but when you said it was almost inappropriate, because I to me, that's like that's the belly of the beast. Like that's the best place to be. So I was kind of curious when you said that you, you thought that it was again almost inappropriate. Well, if you want to reach a wide audience. <laughs> Well, I guess it depends on what level of wide audience, because well, yeah. one would argue that you guys have reached a wide audience, but I, I understand what you mean by that. You you have uh, talked about being influenced by Kafka, and I was also kind of interested in that. Yeah, that was something I was very into at the time. When I went to uh, college and university, like I, my two favorite subjects were English and philosophy, and Kafka kind of like, I guess like, has both the writing and the philosophy, you know, like the creative storytelling as well as like the philosophy of, of his day and like where he was growing up and the shit that was surrounding him at the time. And he, he was able to like come up with some pretty amazing metaphors. Like what philosophical space would you say that he occupies? Like in terms of if there was a, a label for it? I guess like kind of proto-existentialist maybe. I don't. <laughs> That's good by me because I, I mean, I think that the existential angst is the core thing that leads to most, not most, but a lot of mental health issues for people. You know, the, the basic premise of like we're all alone and we're going to die, and if you don't deal with that, the emptiness and the boredom and the loneliness that comes from that is, is, is really profound and very pervasive. And I guess that when, when people are there, they don't need somebody who's just saying, Hey, everything's fine and okay. And normal. They need someone who gets the fact that like, it's just not normal. Right. At least from, from my perspective, it might be normal, but normal is fucked up. Right. That's a better way of saying it. It's, it's, it's like, just because the world is confusing doesn't mean you're confused, you right, know, right. but, but sometimes people, I think need that kind of art in order to have, cause sometimes people can't even articulate that that's what's going on. And so I guess whenever I've heard your guys stuff, it feels like there is that heavy existentialist. And again, that like sort of Dadaist model there where it's like, I'm going to reflect how fucked up normal is. And that's where all the concepts of like the dark, the shitting darkness over rock wrist feels very appropriate to me. Like it feels like, yeah, that's exactly what an artist should be doing. Because what, what do I need an artist who's just like 
saying going about their day. I mean, if that's what's in your heart and that's that's how you see the world, then I have no problem with that. But I don't personally need that in my life. You know, I'm not that familiar with Kafka, but it's like I need that. Yeah, I mean, I actually haven't read Kafka in like decades, <laughs> to tell you the truth. One, one thing I loved about him was that like there was humor there. It was a fucking dark humor, but it you know, it says in one of my uh, favorite parables of his uh, bit called uh, Investigations of a Dog. And it's about like a dog philosopher who's trying to understand the world around him. It's it's brilliant. And it, it, in, a, in a way, just like it kind of mocks the whole process of philosophy. I'm kind of rethinking I want to be your dog now <laughs> from that from that perspective. I'm not sure that uh, that was what Iggy had in mind. <laughs> no, but but you guys used to, didn't you guys used to play that? Oh, we played all kinds of Stooges riffs. Yeah. <laughs> I know I got to investigate that because now now my mind's buzzing a little bit. I guess taking that concept, some people just naturally like do that in terms of their orientation to the world. Like they sort of see it with a dark sense of humor. And again, even that thing that you were saying about it was almost inappropriate. Have you come across people saying, hey, you, you, you shouldn't do it like this? It's like, you know, you should be more quote unquote normal or whatever it is. And because like to me, that's one of the things that keeps people from being able to explore that side of themselves that everyone's pushing them in the direction of that kind of empty, repetitive thing that you were talking about before, where you're almost in this like mindless drone-like state. You just kind of right, keep right, going right. along. Yeah. And I haven't run up against that since like, since I lived at my parents' house or something like that. You know, I, I've, I've been a, a pretty free person for a long time. Is there anything else on that topic in terms of existentialism or... Or Kafka or any any of the stuff that that you guys have done that that feels relevant to that topic? Yeah, I mean, I haven't really like read philosophy. I mean, like that kind of thing in a long time since I went to the University of Washington and met Kim Thiel in philosophy classes. <laughs> That's fair enough. And after a while, it seemed like to me at the time, after a while, it was like the kind of what the more I got into it, the more it just sort of seemed like. I mean, I don't know if this is fair or not, but it just sort of seemed more like about coming up with a thesis and then making an argument or taking positions, whether you believe in them or not, just and arguing about them. And that, that, that ended up being kind of tedious to me. I think that one of the things that seems very powerful about, again, whether it was punk, hardcore, an alternative, is, is, is just... It was the manifestation of certain ideas, not just in terms of the music, but in terms of how people live their life. That again, I, I I think looking at the current cultural landscape, I think there's a lot of things that you can see in terms of like DIY models and all that kind of stuff. And I, I even had a, a friend of mine who's a professor at Columbia. I showed him our band could be your life. And he said that he he should, thinks it should be required reading for all new faculty because he said all of the skills that you need to be a successful academic sexual fac faculty member were in these bands. Like he was basically like kind of saying like, the, these are all the skills that you kind of need in order to do this. I think, I think that goes true for a lot, quite frankly, for a lot of different areas. Yeah. I think every professor should strive to be more like the butthole surfers. <laughs> well, listen, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Crazy. So, yeah. yeah uh, kind of, 
pleasantly surprised and confounded when Becca told me that Psychology Today wanted to do an interview. Yeah, <laughs> I I, that, Michael. No, no, this absolutely. Is not, this is not your average rock conversation for about the new record. So this is a welcome island in a stormy sea. So there it is. Mark Arm of Mudhoney talking about how he addresses existential themes in his music and his life. Now, there's so much to take away from the conversation with Mark. One of the most important takeaways I had was that in order to best cope with existential dread, it is critical that we keep an open and flexible mind about ourselves and the world throughout our lives. Just because the world is confusing does not mean that we are confused. And so while confronting existential themes in one's music and philosophy might be validating for us, there is a risk of embracing any particular philosophical approach or behavioral plan too strongly. A philosophy or behavioral plan that may have been validating initially may not fully reflect our sense of reality at a later point. Thus, if we embrace a particular dogma or plan too rigidly, it ceases to be validating and helpful in managing existential dread. In fact, one can become disconnected rather than connected to oneself when using something too rigidly. Accordingly, Mark explained that even with his own songwriting, he does not cling to the original meaning of the song as he performs it later in his life. His original intention does not translate into ongoing expectation. Similarly, Mark wants the audience to have the freedom to consider different meanings for his songs, such as Mudhoney's new song, Plasticity. And this flexibility allows Mark to continuously get the most sense of purpose from his own music. Even in the best of circumstances, we may find ourselves relying on old patterns and habits rather than having a fresh, authentic connection to our lives and our music. And this may interfere with our achieving the sense of validation and purpose that we seek in our music. And he explained how sometimes musicians may inadvertently become disconnected from their lives as they have more people handling their affairs. Finally, one of the ways to cope with existential dread is to go on that journey with like-minded people who can also be open and respectful to each other's differences and changes that may happen over the course of each other's lives. And Mark sees this as critical to Munhoney's success and longevity as a band. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for working with me on our podcast. And I want to thank Ars Longa media founder, Dr. Patrick Beeman, for partnering with us and Aaron McHugh for producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear on the podcast, subscribe on your favorite app, give us a rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. So get at it, Hardcore Humans. See you next time. <laughs>